0: Coming back is a listener supported podcast to support the show and receive weekly grief guidance from me monthly group grief support calls, and the first look at upcoming books, courses and projects. Become a patron now at patreon.com slash Shelby for Scythia. Just $3 a month gets you access to everything there is to see on Patreon, plus connection to a beautiful group of grievers just like you. Unlock grief support now for $3 a month, and support this show at patreon.com slash shelbyforsythia. Thank you so much for listening. What if you could improve your relationship to grief a little bit every day? If you're looking for comforting words and practical exercises condensed into one small paragraph each day, check out my new book, Your Grief, Your Way, It's a non-religious daily devotional that helps you get in touch with your heart and your grief for a full 366 days. Find your grief your way now on Amazon, Audible, IndieBound, Barnes & Noble, or anywhere else you buy books. And stay tuned to the end of this episode for a special excerpt from Your Grief, Your Way. Hi there, and welcome to Coming Back, a podcast about coming back to life after death, divorce, diagnosis, and more. Today, I'm sitting down with Victoria Albina, a life coach, former hospice nurse, and host of the podcast Feminist Wellness, and we're talking about how we can tune into our bodies after loss and make them our allies in healing. Whether you're already tuned into your body, or you're feeling a million miles away from it this conversation is for you. I'm Shelby Forsythia, an intuitive grief guide and author who speaks, writes, and teaches powerful truths on grief and loss. My mom's death in 2013 set me on the path to becoming a lifelong student of grief, and I use what I learned to create a world where grief is welcomed, normalized, and even embraced. Because even through grief we are growing. Let's get started. Hi there everyone and welcome to this episode of Coming Back. Just a quick reminder that there is less than a week and a half left to pre-order my new book Your Grief Your Way and join the launch team on Facebook. If you have already pre-ordered the book from wherever you pre-ordered it from Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Indie Bound, bookseller, anywhere that you've gotten the book, I would love if you became a member of the Your Grief Your Way launch team on Facebook. People who are in this group in exchange for leaving a review on on launch day on Amazon or Goodreads or both receive access to a special exclusive behind the scenes book launch party happening September 29th at 5pm Pacific time. This is a space where we'll pop some non-alcoholic champagne and toast the fact that the book is live and out in the world. And uh, I'm taking your questions on grief on coming back and on the writing process for a full hour until 6pm Pacific time. So if you'd like to join us for the Your Grief Your Way launch party, which is happening again, September 29th at 5pm Pacific time, pre order a copy of your grief your way right now, and put in your request for the launch team on Facebook, you have to um, request to join the group. And I'm monitoring everybody who comes in. So as long as you pre ordered the book, and are committing to write a review of the book on Amazon or Goodreads, I would love to welcome you in and uh, host this little behind the scenes exclusive launch party with you in attendance. It's such a fun way to get together here in the midst of. COVID-19 and everything else that's happening in the world to celebrate um, your grief your way being out in the world for one more piece of grief writing to make its way into the hands of people who really, really need it. And you can find a link to purchase your grief your way and join the launch team in the show notes. Now, my interview with Victoria Albina, just a note that due to some connectivity issues on Zoom, there are a few interrupted pieces of dialogue. So if you hear some blips during the conversation, know that it's my audio files and not your headphones, grief growers. Grief growers, I am really stoked to introduce you to Victoria Albina. We've had just already such a energetic and stimulating conversation before getting on the mic here because I have a sense that what Victoria does for people and just in general in the world is literally plugs them back into themselves after trauma after loss after events that change their lives so victoria welcome to the show and tell us a little bit more about who you are what you do and your
1: relationship to loss hey shelby thank you so much for having me i'm absolutely delighted to be here so My name is Victoria Albina. I am a holistic nurse practitioner, breathwork meditation facilitator, and life coach. I use she/her pronouns, and I'm coming to you from Occupied Lenape Territory, also known as Brooklyn, New York City. I'm also the host of the weekly free podcast Feminist Wellness. So, my relationship to grief—it's hard to even know where to start. Um, I was born in Argentina during a brutal dictatorship, and born into a beautiful, loving family with aunties, uncles, cousins, abuelos, like lots of family really close by. Uh, And when I was around two and a half, my family immigrated to the United States for more opportunities, economic opportunities, educational opportunities. And Argentina wasn't a great, smart place to stay in back then if you had a way to get out. And it's really been in the last 15 years or so that I've come to really understand what a profound gift and privilege it is to be able to immigrate. And we we did so um, with documents, which is like a stunning privilege, uh, for one for which I am incredibly grateful. But there's a lot of grief that comes with leaving everything you've ever known, right? And the connection with family and coming to a country where you are quite a strange bird in a strange land and as Argentines in the 80s in Rhode Islands we um we were lonely right there weren't a lot of people like us we are very um different culturally from other latinos and it was um it was a challenging experience for my parents for sure who did everything they could to keep Argentine folkloric music around, to uh, you know, read Borges and our important authors, Maria Elena Walsh. They you know they kept Spanish alive in the household, but there was this grief that I felt within them, that I, you know, took me 25, 30 years of living to really recognize what it was, that grief of having left everything behind and in a, in a way having to close their hearts to missing because it, it takes over everything, right? The grief, the missing, the longing, the wanting, the wishing would take over your life. If you didn't find a way to encapsulate it, right, to to hold in those tidal waves of just like missing f- football games on a Friday night with your friends. We're from a beach town, from spending the whole summer on the beach drinking mate, our national drink, and having asado, Argentine barbecue, and just the closeness and the connection of, well... Our family lived in an apartment building, all of us in the same building. So my abuelos were on the first floor, we were on the second, my aunt and uncle were on the third. And so it was like just this constant family house. And we lost that when we came here. There, we gained so much. But the survivor's grief, the survivor's guilt, um, the missing was like, a, it was like a fifth family member in my house growing up um surrounded by love surrounded by care given all the best opportunities this country could give me i am endlessly grateful and i do believe that we can hold duality right we can have gratitude for what we've been given we can see the positive and give thanks while also holding that these experiences carry a grief that seeps into our bones and i've always been a human who's been drawn to working around transitions I was a hospice nurse. Um, I've always been called to the places where people are transitioning from one state to another. My work as a nurse practitioner is holistic, functional medicine is my passion, really getting to the root cause. And as a life coach, I help folks to start to see their own minds and the stories we have learned to tell as survival mechanisms. Often created by our inner children who are so brilliant and amazing And came up with these stories about ourselves our relationships to other people to ourselves as humans our worth our value And they were so beautiful as kids because they kept us from dying And that was that's literally our nervous systems only job when we're small But now those same beautiful gifts to help us through those transitions particularly in chaotic families those thought habits like perfectionism, codependency and people pleasing, they're now um, they're now not of benefit, right? They do not serve us as grown adults in the world. And so I help folks to see those things and shift those stories to transition away from that old way of being to create a new self. And there's a lot of grief in there too, right?
0: Mm-hmm. There's not only... Um Grieving the old self, but grieving the old habits, the old identities, the old patterns, the old homes, both physical and emotional. Mm-hmm. And immediately, I mean, I I always um write when I'm in interviews with people, but um the first thing that you mentioned, this grief, it's both a it's both a grief and a privilege to be able to integrate. And the first question I have is is what do you do or how do you behave when there's this feeling of my memories, my traditions, my home might just be erased from my mind. And I think like this is so relevant to grief too, is there's almost like the sticky fingers, like this grief of like, I've got to keep it within my hands or within my grasp or else I risk the whole thing just escaping me or flying away from me.
1: That's so interesting. My brain goes immediately to... In childhood, I had this absolute obsession with all things Argentine, starting with what was accessible. Like I literally memorized all of a Which is just like, What are you doing, kid? Right? Like it's the most like Latinx immigrante thing to like memorize this show written by like a white dude in English about the parentess and my family's not parent. It's But it was the easiest access point, right? Um, My room was plastered in photos of Argentina and of my family. And I spent my entire allowance like every month calling home. Like it was all I wanted to spend my like you know, babysitting my sister, walking the dog, mowing the lawn money on was because phone calls were so expensive in the 80s and 90s, right? Um, Now we're on WhatsApp every two seconds sending stupid gifts. It's a delightful change. But um, yeah, it was all I wanted to like, invest in. Right? And it's interesting to pause. I've never thought about this. So thank you. I was investing my energy in holding close to those memories. And I think Think, you know that can be a double-edged sword of keeping us from being present in the world in which we are now living. And whether that's the grief of losing a loved one, uh, like losing their physical form in this human realm, or immigration, right? Um, losing a place, even moving. And so it can be a challenge to find that balance where you are honoring what has been loving, what has been But remembering to be present where you are yeah and i love that you brought that up too because
0: i think um that's a constant struggle that any of us who have ever experienced loss or trauma face is like where is the pendulum middle ground of honoring what has been but also continuing not only to be present but also to create forward momentum also and for me, I have this perspective that forward momentum is happening, whether you consent to it mm-hmm. or not. It's kind of just part, it's built in until we all die. Um, right. Yes. And uh, I, I think the next place I want to go is this presence yeah. that you spoke of, of the fifth person who lived in the house. Because I think in grief, um, so often we talk about the empty chair, the presence mm-hmm. of the thing that is missing. Yeah. But then oftentimes grief is its own present entity as if somebody else has entered the house as opposed to there is a ghost of someone who has left.
1: Yes. Yeah. You know, I think it's, it's what comes to me is the importance of honoring that presence. I talk a lot in my work about how we create suffering when we are out of acceptance, right? When we are in resistance of what is, and I'm not talking about political resistance, like Shelby, let's go to the streets right now and resist. Let's get it, girl. But like that's not what I am talking about, to be very clear. I support resistance politically. I mean emotionally, internally, and I mean resistance to accepting life on life's terms and what is, right? That sort of mashing of fists and sort of screeching into the night that says, I want it to be different, And I believe that's a really vital and important part of the grief process. And it is not to be rushed. It is to be acknowledged and loved. Like, it's the same with all the thought patterns that I coach folks around. Codependency, perfectionism, people-pleasing. They are all gifts, Right, gifts like I was saying previously, right, that kept you alive and somewhat functional. And when you hate them and you're mad at them and you want them to go away in like your littlest little kid voice, right, it keeps it present in your heart and mind as a place of like struggle, of friction, of anxiety, of tension. Versus allowing it to be, which creates that beautiful internal flow state in which you can find that way to say into the night, I grieve this loss, I feel this in my bones, and I honor it for what it is and the weight of it instead of attempting to buffer against it, to push it away, to fill the void with something else, but to say, yes, there is the empty chair and yes, there is this new presence and I will wear it like a loose garment versus attempting to force it to go away before it's done its work and I have done mine.
0: Mm -hmm. You're speaking my language and I get this image sometimes of um, you said loose garment, both of these presences, the ghost of what happened in the presence of grief. Sometimes I try and take both of those pieces of clothing and stuff them down the garbage disposal <laughs> and I'm like turn it on. I'm like, get out of here. Get and I want to shred them into pieces and yeah, just wash them down the sink so they go away. Um and I think I want to move into this next place of, of how do you start the conversation with your inner child? Because before we got mm. onto the mic, you said such an insightful thing about. Um, 20% of emotion takes place in the brain but 80% takes place in the body and I think so much of our childhood self is like I felt it and then I turned it into a story yeah um, or I had a story and then I internalized yep. it. So I think they both communicate with each other. Um, but how do you shift into this place of, I mean, for me with perfectionism, I used to hate the thing and try and fix it. And five ways to ditch perfectionism for me, but like all these Buzzfeed articles and stuff. And one day I finally sat down and I was like, oh my God, you've been trying to save me mm. this whole time. And yes. so it changed the energy of it into gratitude for the fact that perfectionism was the tool that I reached for. And simultaneously, how can we shift into something that doesn't feel so tight,
1: like from spandex into a moo. -moo. (laughs) Oh, my God. I, anyone who can mix metaphors as well as I can. Welcome to coming back. (laughs) Oh, my God. I love it. And I usually I'm like, oh, you know, English is my second language, but you're winning you're winning at mixed metaphors and I'm here for it here for it. Well, you know what? Honestly, like let's start with laughter. Mm -hmm. Right. So the Zen hospice in San Francisco where I worked was one of the most uproarious places I've ever been in. We just lived and died cracking up. Cause why not? Like, it's hospice. You got six months max. What else are you doing? Right?
0: And I'm sure this I'm hearing people's ears listening to this that this is a shock to hear that hospice is a place of laughter, that juxtaposition.
1: It can be. It's a choice, right? And I rolled in there with my Leo energy. Obviously, if someone's in pain, if someone's, you know, in a moment of suffering, crying. Of course, I honor that. I hold space for that. I show up with all of my tenderness for that. And I, and caution, right? Like, I, my work as a human animal and the work that I bring to my practice, to my clients, is all about authenticity, all about getting real, all about getting present with the real feelings that are wherever on the spectrum of sensation they are. So, I'm not recommending laughter as a way to once again, buffer against or try to push away the sobbing, the sad, the grieving, the hurt, the angry, like we need to feel that all. And I deeply believe that we can bring in lightness. And one of the first things I would do at the start of my shift at the hospice was to ask people to tell me something good, right? Tell me a story. No one likes to tell a story like a dying person. They're so much fun, right? Like I would just show up and like sit at the end of their bed and be like, hi, want to tell me a story? And we would just have these amazing conversations, right? And I'd be like, tell me something ridiculous, tell me a time you like got caught with your pants down in life, right? And they're Uh like, well, here we go, (laughs) right? So you can bring that lightness and that laughter and that energy in. And it is such a beautiful way to connect in with our inner children.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it reminds me of um, the book on living by Carrie Egan, who was a hospice nurse. And she wrote a lot about um, the things that dying people wish that living people knew before they stood in their shoes, essentially. And there are these moments of laughter. But um, I think for the most part, people see hospice or they think of hospice. And even that perfectionism brain is like, this is not a place where laughter exists. And so by bringing laughter into that space, you're slowly busting up that that story of, oh, no, this doesn't belong here. right? And so it like releases the grips of the quarantine on emotions that right. we often have.
1: Yeah. It's interesting. It made me think of how when I've told people that I worked hospice, the first thing they say is, oh, how hard.
0: People say that with my work. I'm right. like, it's not as hard as you think it is. A <laughs> lot that's funny. And it's like dark funny because right. when you're grieving, you can pull oh, some yeah. funny shit oh, jokes. Sure. <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah. But
1: hospice was like, Yes, it was so sad when a patient passed and it was so, but it was also light and beautiful and and sweet and tender. And again, it was this constant daily request for us all to be present, us all to honor, yeah, those sensations that are coming up from our bodies, those molecules of emotion that come up through our vagus nerve and cause a feeling, cause an emotion in our bodies And to get really present with those physical sensations, because I don't think that it honors, no. I know that it does not honor someone who is in their transition out of this life to show up carrying your own baggage and putting it at their bedside. So when we honor the sensations in our own physiology, in our somatic bodily experience of being a living human, we show up and can put down the perfectionism the people-pleasing, the stories, the lack of worthiness, right? We can step into our full power to be present, loving, kind, and to show up empowered, right? To show up and be present.
0: And can we talk about, too, this image of baggage, which I think is so helpful. I think... um, Sometimes we have expectations of who people are supposed to be or how they're supposed to behave as they're dying. Mm -hmm. And then we have expectations of the kinds of people that we're supposed to be as someone else is dying. And so when we're not fitting into what either of those pictures are, or like someone who's dying is laughing, or someone who's dying is suddenly reverted to rage about the fact that it's happening and all. You're like, I didn't expect this. I just thought you'd be sad. Or these things are happening in our own bodies. It's like, well, what do we do then when what's
1: happening contradicts all the stories that we've written about how this should go? Right. Well, I think we start right now, today, in this moment, to recognize and honor who we truly are and to recognize that The human brain runs on programming, like any computer. And all those stories are just the stories that happen to have been programmed into you. Mm. So that's the storybook, right? Like I'm, you know, I'm in my 40s, so I think of a cassette tape, right? It's just like the cassette tape, right? Someone made a mixtape, right? That was like, okay, here's how you're a good girl. You are quiet, you listen, you don't create conflict, you, um, you know, don't let yourself be wrong because you stay ahead of everything. You put everyone ahead of yourself, right? You take care of everyone's needs ahead of your own, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so you recognize it's just a cassette tape. Like it's not a fact, right? Just because you're thinking it doesn't make it a fact. And so you get to say, I'm changing the tape. I am changing the tape. Oh, and the then tape. also... Yeah.
0: It it doesn't become your job to make the story on the cassette tape come true. Ooh. It takes the pressure of that I must manifest this into reality because this is the story that's being told. There's a lot of, and gosh, do you see how I even switched vocal ranges I there? I sure do. Um, it's like, that's the, that's the pressure I think so often we put on ourselves. is like, they only die once. So it has to go exactly <laughs> like that. Well, in theory, you only die once. Some people die and come back, I suppose. And then they die again. But like, <laughs> but and here's us laughing again. But sometimes oh we God. tell these stories of like, and it's got to go just like this, or they totally. didn't have a good death, sure. or they didn't have a perfect death, or
1: I didn't have a good right. experience of their ship
0: report.
1: Yeah, all these right? other stories they incorporated in. Well, and that brings up like a key component of what I teach, which is to stop trying to manage other people's minds. <laughs> right? Like you're not the CEO of other people's stop brains. Stop <laughs> it. A number 1, it's not your business. B number 2, it's kind of patronizing and paternalistic. C number 3, you've got your own life to manage. Mm-hmm. Right? Like you don't know what someone else thinks is a good death or a good life or a good experience of being with someone diet. Like You literally have no idea. And that is what is at the core of perfectionism, right? And codependency is our, so we do things like people pleasing, not because we actually want to please other people, but because we want to think of ourselves as beyond reproach. Can you say that one more time? For the folks in the back, Mm -hmm. we do not people please to actually attempt to keep other people happy, but because we want to convince ourselves that we are beyond reproach. Ah, ah, right. You never heard that in, in right life. And I think a bunch of people's brains are just having a breakthrough. Oh, yep. I'm so glad. glad. Right? So we tell the story to ourselves and anybody who will listen, how we like, oh, yeah, no, I just needed to take care of her first. Oh, you know, it really, it put me out so much to go take care of my dad when he was dying. But, you know, that's what else would a daughter do, right? Like we tell these stories. To make the other person be pleased with us, but really it's because we worry that we are not perfect. We are not lovable. We are not worthy, right? We have been socialized, particularly human socialized as women, BIPOC folks, queer folks, immigrantes, on and on. There can, is this story that gets programmed into us that we are less than, which is total BS. And we seek, and we seek, and we seek, and we seek to undermine that story, disprove that story, tell a different story, flip the narrative, but externally. And the true healing, the true work, the true internal salvation comes when you take all of that work, all of that effort, all of that time and that energy, and raise that mirror up and turn it inward, Mm -hmm. right? To work on the self-love, healing your beautiful inner children. Right? Giving them love and attention, attuning to your own perfect vagus nerve, right? So you can know what you are feeling that 80% of human sensation and emotion before you lose your mind, right? Before you Mm -hmm. flip a table, right? Or collapse into a puddle. Instead, you are giving yourself your attention as your primary life focus. Me first, you second, with love. Ah, Ah.
0: the addition of with love is powerful
1: with love because
0: i think there's a story especially that a lot of um (laughs) i get this image of like waspy white anglo saxon protestant um women tell themselves it is selfish to to serve the Mm -hmm. self first to be the first person who who eats from the table or takes a rest or kind of whatever else um, the story is. And so it's something that really upends. I think grief is an upending experience in in general, but oftentimes we don't expect our entire frameworks of how we've been living for 20, 30, 40, 50 years to be turned on their head. Um, And you've mentioned um, the vagus nerve a couple of times. So can you introduce people who maybe have never heard of it, what it is, what it does, how it's informed by grief and trauma, and maybe how we can start to have a
1: conversation with it. Yes. <laughs> with great joy. But first about the selfish, I'd love mm. to propose two remedies to that train of thought. Perfect. And so, and they're remedies because you're not broken, so you don't need to get fixed. <clears throat> So, <laughs> and I often do this with my clients. I will invite you to try on two or more different thoughts and to feel into your body, which will be a fabulous segue to the vagus nerve, but to feel into your body for the information, right? Now, understanding that our thoughts create our feelings in that 20% of top-down uh, mm-hmm. experience of being a human. So the two thoughts I have folks try is No. I'm not being selfish. It is my job on this planet to take care of me first, to fill my own cup so I may give from my overflow, right? Because if not, I am draining my cup. And then what service, what use will I be of to the world if I am coming from there, right? From that Mm -hmm. empty place. So that is one angle to try on. The second is, Oh yeah, you know it's selfish. And what? Come at me. What Come you at me, right? <laughs> like, yeah, I have decided that women, the human socializes women being told we are not to be selfish is really problematic. And a core way that the patriarchy, you know, keeps itself rocking and rolling by keeping us exhausted and feeling guilty for having human needs and human bodies. Right, so that's the other framework, the other thought to try on and see what feels right in your body. Both will get you to a similar destination of beginning to release and sort of shake free that guilt associated with actual real self care. Um, but yeah, so those are my two favorite remedies.
0: I love it because the first one is selfishness as restoration, like it's okay yes. to restore the self. And the other one is selfishness as rebellion, which yes. speaks to me a lot more.
1: And I'm like, fuck the system. Be selfish. It's awesome. You are <laughs> such a Leo right now. You are in your full Leo glory.
0: Oh my goodness. As a fellow Leo. And I love, Grief Growers, you don't know this, but we're recording on August 4th, a day after Victoria's birthday and eight days before mine. So we are having a whole Leo oh, yes. celebration here on the oh, mic. Yes. <laughs> Months prior to this yeah. being released so you'll hear this after mm-hmm. the fact but and our hair we'll just looks have fantastic a little birthday party
1: over here and we our look hair so looks good. so good <laughs> we've both touched our hair 15 times me more I know, I All the time. yes it's hard to be <laughs> this gorgeous no it's not it's easy it's so fun it's easy
0: um, well and here's hey, like Vegas another nerve. thing that's, oh yeah come to that well and I literally just wrote down as you were having these um alternate stories and maybe let's do Vegas nerve first okay Um, ponder this question as you're talking about this, but what is your all-time favorite story to tell yourself? Mm. Um, But maybe we'll close with that. I want to hear vagus nerve grief relationship um, communication.
1: Okay, great. So the vagus nerve is the 10th cranial nerve. It is the longest nerve in the human body. Its name, vagus, comes from the Latin to wander because it wanders through the whole middle of the animal that is you. And it has several very important jobs. So it enervates or gives nerve function to your eyes, your ears, some degree, your nose, um, your throat and your swallowing capacity, your heart and lungs, diaphragm, which is, you know, it's the diaphragm is a muscle that is a huge measure of safety or lack thereof, um, your digestion, thyroid, reproductive function, uh, and on the way back up, carries feelings. And so the vagus nerve um, has two branches, the sympathetic, which folks have probably heard about, fight or flight, freak out, adrenaline, norepinephrine, eventually cortisol from your adrenal glands. And folks uh, who have been through grief often have a lot of taxation, right? There's a lot of burden put on the adrenal glands. So one of the early episodes of my podcast, Feminist Wellness, is all about adrenal health. So. Cortisol. When we are stressed out, our cortisol, these chemicals get whoosh released into the body and their primary goal is to prepare us to run from a lion or turn around if we know we can't outrun a lion, which P.S. you can't outrun it. It's kind of like grief that way and sock it in the nose, which we effectively talked about, right? Trying to take that loose garment that is grief and shove it down the garbage disposal just keeps you jacked up on cortisol, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's tempting. I get it. It makes sense why people would do it, but doesn't help to shift it out, right? Be in. So that's sympathetic, fight or flight. And then parasympathetic is the other part of the nervous system. And that has two parts, ventral vagal, which is our safe, social, connected part of our nervous system. That's when we look out into the world and we don't see a lion coming, but instead we see the friendly smile of someone very nice. And we think, I feel safe here. But actually what we're doing is feeling We're feeling I am safe here. And we're listening with our ears, sounds, right? voice, which is how we both talk normally, naturally, right? With a sweet sort of sing-song tone, with gentle tones to our voice. And then the final part of the vagus complex, um, this polyvagal complex, a term coined by Dr. Stephen Porges, PhD, is um, the dorsal vagal, which is the back body. And that's the immobilization, the freeze response. And so when we are in depression, we are often predominantly in that freeze response and And so in the animal kingdom, we see this in possums, in deer, when startled or frightened, right? Because if you're a possum, you're very small. And what are you going to outrun? Probably nothing. But a smart predator knows you don't eat dead things, right? Dead things Mm -hmm. make you sick unless you killed them yourself. And so you look at a possum as a cougar and you're like, meh, that's probably got germs next, right? Mm -hmm. I bring this up to say that much like The experience of shifting through grief, our bodies shift through all of these states throughout the day, and that is natural and normal. No state is better. And when we are in ventral vega, which is the safe, secure, connected part of our nervous system, our cognitive capacities are optimized. That is, you think goodly. Your thyroid works well. You can digest your meals. Um, You have the op, like optimized reproductive function meaning if you have menstrual cycles those are normal right regular 20 to 30 days etc and so i think this is really important to understand because the more we can tap into our bodies particularly when moving through the processes of grief and to ask ourselves where is my nervous system at like where where am i right now what's going on, we can learn to hear sympathetic, like that little touch of adrenaline when it's a whisper, just barely floating into our bloodstream. Or we can feel that shift, that acetylcholine, right? That movement into freeze where you start to self-doubt, to question yourself, to withdraw, mm-hmm. right? To get into the, the darker part of the cave, um, which makes sense, right? That's where you should go if you can't outrun the lion and the the villagers aren't around to protect you. You should put your back, dorsal, against the wall of the cave. And so when we understand the way the nervous system works and the effects it has on our experience of life, we can support ourselves to move, well, first and foremost, into loving appreciation, which you and I have talked so much about, right? I heard you say it. I loved it. My perfectionism was trying to save me. Mm-hmm. Wow, that is powerful. Like, can I get a t shirt? And yeah. <laughs> we'll make one together. Okay, great. Let's <laughs> do join forces. Done. But, um, right. So, when our bodies shunt into these different states, They are trying to protect us. They love us. It is not to be hated or pushed against or said like, oh, it's so bad that I'm like in stress right now. But rather, whatever state we find ourselves in, we can ask ourselves, does it serve me to be here? Do I want to be here? And most importantly, what is the lesson of here, right? Why am I in this stress response? how can I attend to myself? How can I support myself? What do I need? What are my glimmers? And so glimmers is a term I, re- I learned from Deb Dana, who's a phenomenal writer in the polyvagal sphere. And she's a therapist and she writes about glimmers, which are the things that bring us back into ventral vagal when we have spent the, the amount of time we need to either ramped up on adrenaline or sobbing in the corner and we're ready, right? Our bodies let us know like, we're ready. And Mm -hmm. what just popped into my head is little kids, you know how they run and they get in your lap and they're like totally fine as they run up to you. And then they like hold up a finger and they're like, I hurt my finger. (laughs) And you're like, Uh but you were just, okay, cool kid. And they're like, I'm so sad. And they'll just sob and sob and sob. And then they're like, okay, I'm done. Thank you. And they get up and run away. And you're like,
0: What What just happened? What the fuck just happened,
1: kid? And that is the completion of the stress activation cycle. That kiddo just went from ventral vagal, playing, hurted their finger, went into sympathetic. (laughs) Right? Had to show you. Had to show you the hurted finger. (laughs) Cried it all out, allowed their body to work through that adrenaline cycle, come back to baseline, connect with you v- through ventral vagal, see you smiling, having a tender face, and they're done. Mm-hmm. And we get to treat ourselves. And this is the biggest one of the biggest lessons I've learned after twenty years in health and wellness. We are toddlers, my angels. We're just yeah. grown toddlers who like, can put on our own pants and pay taxes and drink coffee, and, but we're just toddlers. And so the more we can learn to reconnect with those sensations in our bodies that create 80% of our emotions, especially when we are in the throes of grief, we can know when we need to like throw ourselves a lifeline, as it were, and to mm-hmm. run up to someone and show them our finger and say, my mom died right? My auntie died, right? I lost my job. I got a new job and I hate it. I immigrated. I, you know, whatever the grief, the pain, the worry is, and to say, can you kiss it better? Mm -hmm. Right? So both looking inward at our thoughts and the feelings they create and looking outward for social connection, safety, support.
0: Well, and what I love to, um, Is I think there's often this perception in grief that we have to teach kids how to grieve. Mm. And so often, especially as adults, I find myself learning from them. I'm like, oh, you allow the process to arrive and then complete itself. And so many adult grievers, especially clients I have and people I talk to, they, they keep using this word. They're like, I'm stuck. I'm either yes. stuck in numbness where I feel yes. nothing at all and I feel yes. like I've been detached from my tether on a whole mm-hmm. other planet, mm-hmm. or I am so on fire, nerves exposed, like yes. skin has been rubbed raw all the time that yes. I don't know how to turn it off. Yes. And so there's almost this sensation of I am, I am suspended in one of two extremes yes. and I don't know how to... Um, Bridge. Bridge. Or even just close this process, Ah. like um, to create the transition of an ending for
1: myself in this process. Yes, Mm -hmm. yes, yes. Yeah, and so recognizing story follows state, that that numb feeling is dorsal vagal, that is a dissociation response, one might assume, right? And that is natural and normal. And yes, at some point, we are ready to move on, but recognizing that our cognitive self or the pressures of our socialization may make us think we are meant to move on before our physiology is ready.
0: Uh, and the story is always, it is wrong to be here, which goes back to these questions yes. that you asked that I wrote down. Does it serve me to be here? Do I want to be yes. here? And what is the lesson of here? And the whole time, it's like... um, like frog on a hot frying pan. It's like, I'm just trying to get off the thing because it doesn't feel good. I'm like, well, what do we,
1: wait a minute. Why don't we just feel it and see what happens? Um, Mm -hmm. yeah, it is magical. What happens when you sob it out, like a Mm -hmm. four-year-old creates so much space within the organism. So much space.
0: Oh, I felt like I'd gone through the dishwasher. I felt yeah. great. It was like the craziest. And yeah. that's where um, grief growers who've who've read my first book, Permission to Grieve, will yes. remember that story of, I got my wallet stolen two years after my mom died and I never let myself grieve until my wallet got stolen. And I went home and I'm banging on the floor and, and just crying my heart out and put on this screamo music for like a half hour. It didn't even take very long to exit the body, which is so funny because I'd been holding it back for two and a half years. I was laying there on the floor and I was like, that oh, was awesome, and it was gone. Yep. And and the the story I was telling myself is, wow, you just gave yourself permission to grieve, which yes. is where the title of the book came from, which is where all these practices and my work with clients came from, and and all these other things. When I was like, what was I so afraid of? And we're almost, I think, so much of it, we're so afraid of our own power and what our bodies could do to us because of what the experience of grief has already done to us. And there's a victim story there, and
1: and all that that implies. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It is a scary thing when you have. Been, when you are one of the many, many humans socialized to believe that you are not powerful, to recognize how powerful your emotions are.
0: We are so convinced we have no power all of the time.
1: I know, it's heartbreaking.
0: Wow, that just... Right? That just entered my whole body. That was amazing. That was so bad. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. yeah. We are socialized to believe that we have no power here. Yep. So for people um, who are listening, who just got touched the same way I got touched by that is, okay, so if I'm recognizing that I might have power, it's entering my brain as a possibility. Um, yeah. How do I tune into it? How do I tap into it
1: and reclaim Myself for myself, yes. Well, so again, two parallel processes, working with the body and the experience of being a soma, being a body in this world, and the cognitive process of looking at your thoughts, your habitual thoughts, right? That programming in your brain, that cassette tape, just gonna keep mixing metaphors, right? All those stories that got put in your brain by someone else, by systems, by our families of origin, etc. So, I invite folks to look at them in concert and in parallel, starting always with our feelings and working to get into better touch, into more mindfulness, more presence with the sensations in our bodies. And this will likely be quite challenging, particularly if this is a wildly new concept, right? Mm -hmm. But to start to feel into our bodies in different moments and to ask ourselves, where does that sensation live? And to get really descriptive with it. So we're often, we are trained that when you go to your primary care provider and you say, I have a headache, and they say, tell me about it. And you're like, well, it is on the front left of my head, sort of over my eye. It is stabby and it's kind of heavy, right? We're used to using adjectives to describe physical sensations. We just forget that emotions are physical sensations, right? That they're vibrations of energy in our human form. And so I'll ask folks, you know, when I I just heard you that you're feeling angry, where do you feel it? What's it like? And I'll hear, you know, it's like this red, hot, angry, moving thing in my belly. And I feel like it's creeping up my throat. And it just is like, I feel it in my hands now as I'm talking about it. Right. And so we'll use that sort of It's an easier way to get in to start to talk about our feelings using descriptive words because we're used to using it in different contexts, right? Mm -hmm. So reminding yourself of the importance of doing that and making it a daily practice, depending on the client and how stuck they are feeling. um, I'll have them check in two, three, four, 20 times a day for just a moment to see where are you holding tension right? Is there tension in your neck and shoulders and jaw? For those in the midst of grief, I'm going to vote yes, Mm -hmm. right? We know that grief is also held in the lungs and in the hips. Are your hips tight today, baby? Is that your grief, right? And so we'll start to open up these conversations in which we recognize that all of our sensations, all of our emotions are etched into the body. And I say etched like an etch-a-sketch because it can be shifted mm-hmm. right it can be moved it's not engraved it's not carved in there right it's simply etched mm-hmm. right it's just on the surface that doesn't mean it's not profound and it doesn't have huge impacts it isn't to be given the weight and heft that it requires but it is movable it is changeable liquid liquid yes mm-hmm. and simultaneously we look at the at the stories the habitual thoughts, right? I am so sad and I'm so frustrated about it. Why can't I just get over this death? It's been five minutes, five years, five decades. The why can't I's, the I shoulds, I shouldn'ts right? The if onlys. Oh, the Buddhist second arrow. There's definitely a podcast episode all about Mm -hmm. the second arrow, which is, well, I'll just let folks listen to this show. But right, so we shoot that second arrow. We make ourselves feel even worse about what has already been by letting the what if parade just crawl across our brains, right? Mm -hmm. If only. Um, and so we look at those cognitions that have been written into the mind and that we've come to believe them because neuroplasticity, right? So we believe the things that we hear over and over and over and over again. Again, does not mean that they're fact, that they're real, or that, as you so smartly said, we have to live into those stories. But we get to recognize that they're there. And often for the first time in their lives, my clients are like, wait, what? I don't I don't have to believe that. And I'm like, no, you do not. Right? Like, doesn't matter what you weigh, you are perfect. Doesn't matter what your job is, you are perfect. Right? On and on and on and Mm -hmm. on. Right? Um, And through that process, look at the stance of life, the thoughts we're having about it, the feeling those thoughts create, and then understanding that as human mammals, because science, we take action based on our feelings. Right? I don't think anyone like crosses the street because they're like, well, I think the coast is probably clear. What? (laughs) Right? You feel into it and your body feels those cues of safety through your vagus nerve and you look both Mm -hmm. ways, cues of safety, and you launch yourself across the street. right? So we take action based on our feelings and create a result in our own lives. And that's the process I walk people through.
0: That's magnificent because it doesn't just provide one avenue, it's like a marriage of two. Yeah. And so for those who are more feeling into their bodies, it's okay, let's let's start with the body because you're yes. already in it and you can feel it and tap into it. And for those who feel totally shut off from the thing, it's like right. maybe start with story yes. and see if we can get to body through story. And so there's avenues to, right. to get at or like attach yourself to both. Right. Um, it creates a lot of room to breathe. Yes. A lot of possibility space in there.
1: Yeah. And one of the main reasons I left Western medicine um, was because there was this false narrative that psyche and soma are separate. Mm -hmm. And they're just not, right? There is no mental health without physical health and no physical health without mental health. They are literally the same thing because the mind-body interplay is constant and eternal. And so we get to be a party to the practice of shilling by attending to both in parallel. And as you said, go where it's warm, right? Start where it's easy. Build up that faith and that trust in yourself that you can do hard things, knowing they soon won't feel like hard things. And then you can try the other approach. Easy peasy.
0: (laughs) I love it. It reminds me very much of a course I teach called Life After Loss Academy. And the first thing that we do, the first three weeks of the 12-week program, we spend on feeling safe in the world. Yes. Because you cannot explore grief without first feeling like there is something under your feet supporting you or... You know, tethering you to some kind of planet that you can reel back in when things get scary or hard or unsafe. So I was like, "Oh my god, I'm literally helping people reprogram their vagus nerve." Yes, (laughs) I've never thought about that before. Welcome. Um, And it's it's wild. And I I think there's so much more of this work that's needed in the world because the story that we often tell ourselves is that we are wrong and we need fixing. I know. When in fact we are responding very normally to trauma, loss, pain, surprise. Shock, grief, and upending of normalcy. Um, I want to go back to this question of. Um, oh. I'll ask it two ways. What's okay. one of your favorite thoughts to have, or what's a a thought that you've been telling yourself on repeat right now? Ooh, stage in your life.
1: Hmm. I am worthy. That's a big one. That's part of my daily journaling for the last decade or so, and when. Yeah. When I first started doing that kind of neuroplasticity work, the neuroplasticity work I do with my clients, I would write, you know, I am worthy of love. I am worthy of care. I am you know, worthy of fill in the blank. And now I have simply found so much peace in just reminding myself that I am worthy and breathing that and writing that into the universe and writing that into my psyche. That has been really, really powerful. Also, you know, things about acceptance, right? So a thought about accepting life on life's terms, because what this pandemic has highlighted for so many of us is the uncertainty that all of us live, you know, that we all live with as human organisms on this planet at all times. And So that reality has felt stark to some, but for you and I and your listeners who walk in the space of death and grief and lost, we know that life is profoundly uncertain, right? Like, like, yeah, welcome to the club. (laughs) Exactly, right? (laughs) Welcome. Do you have a ticket? Right? But it's like, I'm just thinking of a client of mine who like Monday at 5.30 had a husband. He said, I'm going to the supermarket. 20 minutes later, dead husband, right? Right. Wow. Yeah, cuz car accidents happen. Mm-hmm. Right? Or my patients in the hospice and what transpires there, right? So this in this club, we know that uncertainty is the cornerstone of life. And we didn't know before we knew. Right? And so coming into the deeply accepting this, amongst many other facts of being a mammal here, is just so freeing, right? Because when sort of uh, blips come up on the radar, right? When there's an altercation, alteration of the plan. Uh, interesting slip, alteration, altercation. Yeah, dear, what do you think it <laughs> means? Paging Dr. Freud. I know. Altercation. But I like that. Right. An altercation of the plan. Right. Who's fighting for the plan? Us. Mm-hmm. What's the universe doing? Giving us what we need.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Right? Yeah. So accepting life on life's terms has been a really driving thought for me. I love that. Yeah. What comes? Does anything come up for you as a thought you'd like to deeply program in there? Uh, mine right now is you are safe here. Oh. Um,
0: I think in the aftermath of my mom's death, I first lived in numbness for about six months and sure. then for the entire rest of the time, it was like full frontal assault constantly. Yeah. And so noises, sensations, schedules, other people's energies, having yeah. to answer emails, like even like teeny tiny stuff, yeah. assault on my whole personhood. Yeah. And even right now, as I've been talking to you, I've been actively unclenching my whole core. It's like, it is safe to be here. Yes. Cause I always feel like I need to, launch myself into the next thing where i might need yes. to plan an escape or where's the door in yes. the restaurant you know to get out yeah. um and uh and yeah and it's kind of i am the frog in the hot pan of like yes. what happens if we just sit here and yes. even if we don't want to be here there was something to do here Absolutely. besides leave <laughs> yeah. yeah um what if you have more of a purpose here than to just try and get out of it yeah um Mm-hmm. And yeah. so to sit and stay a while is a is an invitation I'm offering myself. I'm like, look, just sit that. and stay a while. That's
1: beautiful. And so there's
0: very much a yeah a welcoming energy. Beautiful. I'm offering too. Oh oh my goodness. This has been so fun. So fun. Let people know where they can find you, your work, anything you'd like to tell us about that's coming up uh, in the future for you.
1: Thank you. Thank you. So uh, my website is VictoriaAlbina.com. And if you head right over to the homepage, there's a little picture of me and right under it, there's a place to put your email in and then you will get my suite of meditations. So there's a boundary setting meditation, a body scan and an orienting exercise so body scans particularly orienting is a tool that can be really helpful when you're in that full frontal assault sort of sensation it can also potentially be helpful when you're in the numbness as a way to bring you sort of back towards ventral vagal with yourself Um, there's an inner child meditation it's the five or six meditations that I made with love for you So you can download all of those. I'm on the Instagram at Victoria Albina Wellness. And um, I have an upcoming masterclass. It's a six-month course. It's called Overcoming Codependency. And it is a high-touch small group course that I am absolutely obsessed with. Uh, It's so much fun. We talk about everything we've talked about here, um, less through the lens of grief and more that of codependency. But um, You know, I think we've both been pretty clear that there's a huge overlap on these Mm -hmm. things now.
0: I immediately think the energy of uncoupling.
1: Yes. um, Removing, like cord cutting. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, moving from codependency, right? My joy and happiness depends on you being okay into interdependence. I want you Mm -hmm. to be okay, and I'm going to make sure I'm okay too. Yes. Yeah. And you can find out more about that, victorialbina.com forward slash masterclass. And of course, there is my podcast, Feminist Wellness. It's on literally all the channels um, and it comes out every Thursday and it is a joy to make. It's so much fun. Victoria, thank you
0: so much for spending time with us today. This was an exploration in so many levels uh, and grief growers. It is safe to be here and you are worthy. Yes. Thank you so
1: much, Victoria. Thank you, Shelby. This has been magnificent. Thank you.
0: So that's all for this episode of Coming Back. I'm so grateful this week to Victoria Albina, who came on Coming Back to get us back in touch with our bodies and with the stories that we tell ourselves about healing from loss. Victoria came back by treating grief as a fifth person in the room, by getting in touch with her inner child, and by asking loving questions of her body as it was sending her normal and important messages. You can get in touch with Victoria, enroll in her masterclass, and receive free meditations at victoriaalbina.com, and you can find a link to her work in the show notes. Be sure to pre-order my new book, Your Grief, Your Way, 366 Days of Comfort and Practical Exercises After the Death of a Loved One Now, wherever you buy books. For the link to purchase, as well as your invitation to an exclusive book launch party on September 29th, click the link in the show notes. And be sure to stay tuned after the credits for an excerpt from the book. If you'd like to get online grief support for just $3 a month, pledge to support this podcast on Patreon at patreon.com slash Shelby for you'll instantly unlock access to weekly grief guidance prompts and monthly live calls with me. Our next live grief support call is happening this Monday, September twenty-first at 7pm Central Time. If you liked what you heard today, subscribe to Coming Back on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and tell a friend about Coming Back, because you never know what someone you love is going through. Thank you to Addie Goldstein, who composed our theme music. You can find me on Facebook at Shelby for Forsythia Intuitive Grief Guide, Instagram at Shelby Forsythia, or simply Shelby As always, my dear grief growers, it was beautiful sharing this space and time with you today. I see you, I'm proud of you and the work that you're doing in the world, and I love you. Because even through grief, we are growing. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Coming Back. Now, check out the September 16th entry from my new daily grief book, Your Grief, Your Way. September 16th Practice grieving the death of a dream by holding the experience of it in your mind, and then watching it slowly dissolve like sugar in warm water. Close your eyes and picture a future experience you thought you were going to have with your loved one, This could be a milestone event like a wedding, or a more intimate scene like sitting on the front porch together when you're old. Bring in all your senses. What do you see? What do you hear? What do you taste? What do you smell? What can you touch? Additionally, who is with you? Where are you? What are you wearing? What time of year is it? Really paint a picture of the scene know that it's okay to cry during this exercise. Hold the dream in your mind for a couple of minutes. Then, when you're ready, take a big, deep breath in, and, as you exhale, watch the dream fade away. Just because this dream was only a picture in your mind doesn't make the loss of it any less valid than a real, tangible human loss. Come back to this exercise any time you need to grieve the death of a dream. If this entry resonated with you in your grief, pre-order Your Grief Your Way now, wherever you buy books. For more information, including your invitation to an exclusive book launch party on September 29th, visit shelbyforsythia.com. See you next week on Coming Back.